0: How can we redefine success in our businesses so that we don't burn out after year three? Every week, I sit down with business founders at various stages of their side hustle to small business journey. These entrepreneurs are pushing the envelope while keeping their values. Keep listening for conversation, context, and camaraderie. Hannah Smolensky is a CPA who thrives on helping businesses develop profit maximization strategies and reach financial clarity. In 2017, she founded Clara CFO Group, a virtual CFO agency to do just that. Hannah is able to bring her past corporate experience and knowledge to assist in helping small businesses succeed. Joining us from Seattle, here is Hannah Smolinski. Hannah, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Sanjay, thanks so much for having me.
0: Uh, I'm excited to talk to you because uh, we don't talk about finances and like dealing with all of this kind of stuff and maximizing and you know, those levers that are just so important to small businesses. But before we get into all of that, give us like a quick one or two minute background on you and how you got to where you are now.
1: Sure. So um, I basically kind of took like somewhat of a traditional route into accounting. Um, I always liked math growing up um, and then I kind of went into. I liked business, so I wanted to go into business. I did that. Um, And then I was trying to go into marketing and then I had all my accounting professors and people say, no, no, no. If accounting makes sense to you, you need to do accounting. And so I ended up doing that kind of traditional route, which would be get an undergrad, um, do the, you know, do the master's of accounting and then go and sit for your CPA exam, do it. I started with a big four accounting firm and kind of went that trajectory sort of as pretty traditional, I guess, um, path. And then I, you know, also traditionally got a little burnt out and public <laughs> accounting is pretty notorious for overworking people. Um, so I kind of, you know, was just kind of fed up, needed a little bit more of a balance in my life and, uh, went to work for a small engineering firm. And so that's kind of where I started to see like, wow, okay, I really knew finances from this like big picture, um, you know, uh, SEC filings and public companies mm-hmm. and audits and this kind of, um, larger financial structures, but then taking it down to a small business that was, you know, around like one to $2 million in annual revenue, it was a really big jump in a different direction. And so I kind of had to learn some new finance concepts and like what works for a small business is not necessarily what we paid attention to um, when working for really big businesses. So did that and then um, started to realize that finance was, I I enjoyed the finance side of things, Mm -hmm. but I was working for that business doing a lot of other things as well. And I was like, hmm, what would it look like if I just did the parts that I really love about my job? And I did that for lots of other businesses. And so what it kind of came up as is like, I, I was kind of operating as a fractional CFO for a few months out of, or a few hours out of the month for this small engineering firm I was working with. So I thought, well, if I can kind of do that kind of strategic planning and you know financial analysis for multiple businesses, maybe I've got a little, I've got a little something going on here. Yeah. So I decided to start my side hustle, and um, that's kind of where my business idea came out of.
0: Yeah. So, so the engineering firm you were working full time for them, and then you stepped into like working only part time for them, or. How did that transition go? Yeah,
1: I was working. actually, I'm not sure if I ever worked full time um, because I had had a baby around that time. Um, so it was kind of, I think at the max, maybe I was working 40 hours a week some, but I think I was working around 32 hours most of the time. Okay. Um, so I did have a little bit of flex time, but I was, I think maybe coming from public accounting, I was always used to working more than a 40 hour work week. <laughs> so um, I kind of, when I first started with this idea of potentially having a side hustle, I was at night, I was, you know, doing research, listening to podcasts, um, taking classes on QuickBooks, like kind of doing things that would kind of help me understand what is the business I really want to start.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it, it's funny how when you work that many hours and you're anchored to that, then when you're working only 40, uh, it right. feels like, oh, that that's part time, right? Uh, <clears throat> so, yeah. Uh, so was this your first ever entrepreneurial experience or did you do anything entrepreneurial when you were younger, as a kid, anything like that?
1: Uh, yeah, I, 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 ran a, um, I ran a jewelry business, I guess. <laughs> I, well, on the playground in second grade, I was making custom friendship bracelets. Um, people would pay me. I would have them pick out their colors, I would deliver on time, Um, you know. So that was kind of like my first foray into trying to sell some product. Um, And then I think in high school, I also like sold some jewelry that I would make. Um, I had some ideas that I might want to own, like a little boutique shop or something like that. So I was playing around with my my retail endeavors
0: (laughs) when you were doing the uh, friendship bracelet thing as a second grader, which is awesome, by the way, uh, where, where were your materials coming from? Like, how do how are you managing all of that?
1: Um, I just remember being dropped off at Michael's like the <laughs> craft store. <laughs> I'm sure my mom was there somewhere, you know, but I just remember like being able to wander the aisles and um, look for my little embroidery floss so I could make my, um, I could make my, uh, my bracelets. I'm sure that I had some capital come from somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that was coming from a allowance or maybe just borrowed money. I don't fully yeah. really remember. I know I never paid my investors back.
0: I can you that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, sometimes it's a wash for investors, so it is what it is. Uh, do you remember what you spent your, your winnings on, your earnings from all that? Oh, Probably on the vending machine.
1: I mean, you know, you get like a couple quarters in your pocket and you start to feel really rich and you can just blow it all on candy, I'm sure. <laughs>
0: there you go. Candy's the way to go. Uh, I'm sure I think you've listened to some episodes of the podcast. You know that I did the candy arbitrage thing. So I'm a big fan of selling candy uh, yes. early on there. <laughs> uh, were there any other entrepreneurs in your family that uh, you were able to see as you were growing up, uh, especially when you were two in second grade?
1: Yeah, actually my dad was an entrepreneur pretty much for his entire career. So um, it was actually his engineering firm that I ended up leaving my public accounting job and working for him for a number of years. So um, he, he was a professional um, engineer and worked for somebody for a couple years and then went out on his own. Like he was very quickly like, no, I'm going to do my own thing and do it my own way. Um, so he grew his business um, probably to be About 50 employees at one point in time and had a pretty big office in Tennessee and then um, kind of ebbs and flows of contracts and things like that, then decided to scale back down. Um, But he is still to this day um, running his own business. So that's probably he's close to close to probably 40
0: years of entrepreneurship. Oh, that's incredible. That's great. Um, So, okay, so that was an easy first client for you to get uh, because, you know, mom and dad. Uh, what about your next clients after that? Like, how did you go out and find everybody else that you had early on there?
1: Yeah. So I, I I didn't really fully know exactly how to sell services or even Uh, what I was selling. You know, I think, I think that's kind of the thing when you first like have an idea, you're like, okay, I can talk about it, but what are people really going to buy at the end of the day? Um, so I basically just kind of told people around me that I was starting to do some of this accounting work. And I think I started to say I I wanted to do fractional CFO, but even like six years ago when I started, people weren't talking about fractional CFOs as much as they are now. It's a Mm. little bit more common now in entrepreneur circles to hire a fractional CFO. Right. Um, But six years ago, I feel like the conversation was pretty different. Um, So I ended up getting some bookkeeping jobs. So um, somebody that I knew, had a landscape business and I did some bookkeeping for them. And then I talked to my banker and told them what I was doing. And then they were like, oh, this business has just moved into town. They just opened a bank account. They're looking for a bookkeeper or an accountant. Maybe you might be able to help them. Um, So I was able to kind of like just network and find my first set of clients. Um, I was grossly underpriced when I first started. So that was like, you know, lesson number one. Whoops. Um, Definitely did not charge enough. Um, but kind of started to gain some traction, um, with doing some work for people and then also really quickly realizing I didn't want a bookkeeping firm that was not actually a strength of mine and it was not providing any kind of joy. But when I got to have conversations with the clients about like the decisions that they were making and like looking at forward looking forecasts and analysis and like actually being that strategic financial partner, that's where I was really like lighting up in the work that I was doing. So I basically had to make the decision like, okay, no more of this like bookkeeping work. I need to start only selling CFO services. And so um, my first clients came in from that. Um, through networking groups that I was a part of. And then um, I was on a women's entrepreneur podcast that was actually fairly well listened to. Um, And that started to produce leads for CFO services and even like a couple years later, even people would be like, oh, I listened to that podcast and I heard your name and I reached out. So um, podcasting can be an amazing lead generation for service-based businesses.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, I want to dig into one thing you said there. When you started this, you, you priced your services and you realized they were too low. How is it that you first picked the price? And second, how did you realize you were underpricing what you were offering?
1: Oh, well, I mean, I pro I, I didn't have the historical evidence of how long something would take in order to price it properly. So I wanted to start out with a flat rate pricing. and so I was never pricing on hours. Um, and then still still to this day, we don't sell hours. we sell packages. Um, But now we have a way better sense of what something really, truly takes to help somebody. Um, But at the time I was trying to give flat rate pricing and I had a lot of money mindset stuff. I didn't understand like the value of what I was doing for people. Um, But I was just thinking, oh, well, you can afford this and um, you think it's reasonable, so I'll do all this stuff for you for this like really tiny monthly amount. Um, And then I was trying to like over-provide value, you know, be very, very valuable. So I ended up working a lot for very small amounts of money.
0: (laughs) Yeah, in that, um, that thought process of going, like you just mentioned, you're not doing it hourly, you're doing it by packages. Why have you taken that approach Instead of like essentially de-risking it for yourself by saying like, hey, this is the hourly price, and you know if it takes longer, it takes longer, and it's going to cost more.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I think one of the things that we've identified with like our CFO services at this point is we understand what the client needs. Um, they 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 need a certain set of procedures every month and they need a certain amount of flex of like, we know there's going to be some questions and there's going to be some times where they're going to need to lean on us a little bit more. And there's going to be some times that they need to lean on us a little bit less. Um, But I hate when you feel like you don't want to talk to somebody because you're worried about how much it's going to cost. And so we don't want our clients to be like, Oh, well, I don't want to set up a call because you know, I don't want to incur another, you know, $350 charge or, you know, that, and and that's what happens a lot with CPAs. You know, people might not call their CPA because they're like, oh, well, he's going to charge me for, you know, just this quick question that I have that's going to take 10 minutes, you know, so I want to break that. And then with a flat fee, we also have, you know, the benefit of it being able to be budgeted for our clients. They know exactly what to expect. Um, And then we've dialed it in to where we know, how much time it's going to take to provide. Now, sometimes we still lose on that. If we like start out with a new client, like sometimes, you know, we don't anticipate all the things that might come up. Um, but for the most part, it evens out. And we 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 like to keep clients for years and years and years. So, you know, there's always going to be some fluctuations of like, they need us a little more, they need us a little less, but they know what they can expect.
0: Yeah. Uh, wh- one of the worst things as, a, as somebody who's been a client of pl- places like that is knowing that man, the other person is, is clocking this in at a tenth of a, an hour. Every six minutes, there's like, you know, another tick on the on the clock there of what you're paying. And like, I, I don't need to do chit-chat with you if it's costing me, a, you know, exactly. a tenth of an hour <laughs> for chit-chatting. Like, I, I'm good. Um, so w- when you were starting this, uh, was there anything, you know, yeah, you had the jewelry business when you were in second grade, but was there anything that made you nervous about doing this kind of on your own, essentially?
1: I mean, I think the financial part is a little bit nerve wracking. Now, I I kept my job for the first almost full year. Uh So I kept my job and then I kind of got to the place where um, I was able to make enough from my business that if I was if I decreased my hours at work or if I did which, which is what I did do. I decreased hours significantly and then hired somebody in to come and take over a lot of the other things that I was doing for the business that I was employed at. Um, I, I think the financial part feels a little scary because, you know, a client could go away right. and at any point in time. And so um, even though, you know, in finance, you have kind of a little bit of a benefit of like you typically can keep them for another month. Like usually you're going to anticipate when somebody needs to leave. But um, I think just n- trying to piece it all together and figure out, okay, how much do I really need to make in order to make this all work um, is probably the scariest part
0: yeah. for me. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, was there anything special that you did or, or or try to figure a way out of that to overcome those concerns?
1: Um, I mean, at the time I was partnered too. So, I mean, I, I had a husband who also had like a good job. So I think that that was, you know, took a lot of the, the extreme pressure off, but I never wanted to be in a situation where I was making less than what I was making in the job, because I right. felt like that was always pretty important for me of like, if I'm going to make a, dis- a move into entrepreneurship, it actually needs to be producing more, uh, because the risk is so much higher. Um, so I, and I think that sometimes like, Sometimes people think, oh, no, you need to struggle for years and years because that's the, the path of the entrepreneur, right? Like, you need to, like, make nothing and don't pay yourself. But for my business, it's services. So if I'm not making money, I'm – it's like – it doesn't make a lot of sense right. <laughs> for me to be doing it because I don't have any, you know, major overhead. Yeah. So that was always kind of the thing I needed to have that full replacement. Um, now I am not partnered, and it is all on me. So the business's success now is feels a different kind of weight. And also now I have employees, so I'm not only supporting myself and needing to make my own financial picture work, but I also have the weight of full time employees and yeah. part time employees. So
0: yeah. So, okay, so you started this out as a side hustle, and now Mm -hmm. you've got employees. How many people do you have kind of full-time, part-time in the company?
1: Yeah, I've got um, one full-time CFO, so doing, like, full-time client service, Uh and then another one that's about 60% um, full-time client – or client service, so she's part-time. And then I've got kind of a series of admin support. So I've got an administrative assistant, a marketing assistant, and a bookkeeping assistant, and all of them are part-time.
0: Support for this podcast comes from Hiscox, committed to helping small businesses protect their dreams since 19. Quotes and information on customized insurance for specific risks are available at Hiscox.com. Hiscox, business insurance expert. so when you were making this kind of transition from side hustle to like, okay, I'm kind of all in, um, was there a certain revenue number that you had in mind that you needed to hit? Like, or, or was there some other metric? Like I need at least 10 clients. Um, like what, what were those numbers that made you think like, okay, now it's doable.
1: I want to say that I needed like 8,000 a month. Okay. I think that was kind of the to cover like the costs and taxes and to kind of replace what what I was making at my other job. Um, I feel like it was um, I can't remember exactly, but I, I feel like it probably would have been about about that amount to to yeah. cover
0: and do the replacement. And do do you remember how many clients was that at that point?
1: I think that was probably five five clients. Okay. Mm
0: -hmm. So pretty good diversity. You don't have to worry too Mm -hmm. much. If one drops off, that's not a huge hit for revenue.
1: Yeah. I think that was, um, that was, I had one larger client, um, and then a couple smaller ones, and that is always kind of the concern, but actually as the businesses continue to grow, that's one thing that I really do like about our model is that if we're not heavily, in one client, it's not like 50% of of revenue is coming from one client. So, um, and it's, I I don't think we've ever been at that point where one client would have kind of broken the business. Yeah, Um, It might've been really hard and maybe need to go and like replace that pretty quickly, but it's never been, you know, too heavily leveraged on one.
0: Yeah. Uh, Since I'm talking to you and you're a CFO, I'm going to ask these questions, which I don't normally ask others. Um, So what is your diversity of of revenue right now? Like your largest customer or your client is how much of your overall revenue and how many clients do you have now?
1: Yeah, so I'd say the largest, um, we have about 20 clients um, and the largest is about 10% of our revenue. Okay. Um, And so that, and that's, they're they're our largest by a good bit. So I would say like most of our clients are gonna be um, somewhere, like our average is somewhere around like 2,300 per month. average income per client Uh um so i think like if you look at that and we i mean we also have other different revenue streams as well so we have money coming in from our youtube channel um and affiliate income is pretty significant for for the youtube channel as well so we kind of have like a digital media side of the business. And then we have our CFO services side of the business. Yeah, And they kind of, they sort of feed each other.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about that because I think this is pretty interesting. You've got a pretty active YouTube channel. How did that start? Was it like a side hustle within this thing that used to be a side hustle? And and where are you at now with doing that?
1: Yeah, I would definitely say say it was, uh, it became a side hustle at least. Um, A long time ago when I first started the channel, it was like, maybe in 2018 or 20, I had probably 2018, I started the YouTube channel and then I just had some Facebook lives and stuff that I had done, trying to like test out this whole digital marketing you know, thing, trying to figure out what works for my company. Um, And I had just posted them on YouTube. So my YouTube channel had, you know, a max of maybe like 20 subscribers and they were probably all people I knew, you know, by first name basis. Um, And then at the beginning of 2020, I had noticed that one of my videos was a tutorial video on Gusto, the payroll platform. And it had like 7,000 views on it, which was the most I had ever seen from any of my videos. So I was like, oh, maybe there's some opportunity here to do some more things on YouTube. Um, And that was January of 2020 when I made that decision. And then March of 2020 hit and all of the um, small business um, loans from the federal government, so the PPP and the EIDL loans, they all um, kind of hit and everybody was asking questions about them. My own clients were asking questions Mm. about them. I was asking questions (laughs) about them because I needed to understand these things. I heard the term forgivable and I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. What does this mean? Um, So I started researching those uh, things. A friend and I did a webinar, put it on YouTube, because we were just trying to get this information out. Yeah. PPP loans were first come first serve. So if you didn't understand it, you were gonna be left behind. Right. Um, so it was kind of like a PSA of like, okay, whoever we knew, we just like, we did a big, you know, anybody is invited, we just want you guys to know about this. Right. Um, and then we put it up on YouTube. And then after that, the question started pouring in. And then another explainer video needed to happen. And then another video needed to happen. <laughs> and then another publication you know, another uh, final rule, interim final rule would get posted and then I need to do another video. right? And then the snowball just happened. Um, so it was, it from there, uh, that's how the YouTube channel grew. So I started like in March of 2020, I maybe had 50 subscribers. And then by April of 2020, I was monetized. Um, so you have to reach a thousand subscribers and have 4,000 watch hours to be able to um, be monetized. And then from there, it would be like, I would just wake up and look at my phone every morning. There'd be a couple extra hundred subscribers every single day. Wow. Um, so it was kind of a, <laughs> it, was, it was a wild ride. Um, and then it ended up being my side hustle during the pandemic. Uh-huh. So um, I was actually going through a divorce at the time as well. And it was kind of like my, I think, escape to some extent of like, well, here's something I know I can keep working on. Mm-hmm. Um, I can, you know, serve my clients, and it was just me serving clients at that point in time. But it felt like I needed to have something to continue doing, and um, felt like I was a success at at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> with my life kind of burning around me a little bit.
0: Yeah. So, so, your advice to anybody listening on starting a YouTube channel is do it a week or two before a pandemic and uh, and a big uh, opportunity from the federal government. So, okay, we can yeah, we can time that perfectly for everybody. yeah, uh, it should be pretty straightforward
1: <laughs> i i I think the the takeaways from that to to be. Um, like broadly, I mean, if you can make that happen again, you know, first of all, let me know because I'll be there too. Um,
0: but second of all, I, like, I, I want to know too, because I'm going to be on an island because I don't want to be anywhere near the pandemic. So. <laughs>
1: exactly. Yeah. Let's just not have another pandemic. <laughs> let's,
0: let's not do that. <laughs>
1: um, I think that, you know, it was Pete, I think if you think about helping people first, um, I think that's where the that's where the real motivation was happening because I wasn't really getting much like financial wins from it at that point in time. Like when I was doing it, it was really just like, I was doing it for the comments of somebody being like, oh my gosh, this helped me so much. I just applied for the loan and I just got $30,000 or, oh my gosh, I did this. And thank you so much for clarifying this for me. You know, those were, that's what I was kind of like thriving on at the time. So The drive there was really like, what do people need to know? What are people interested in knowing? And then answering their questions with a lot of clarity. Um, So I think like, if you are in a professional services and you see something that you're like, hey, I think I can provide value. And like, I can continue to answer each other's questions. It's almost like the YouTube channel kind of became its own loop of question, answer, question, answer um, for a while. And, And when people are Googling, they're looking for questions. YouTube is the second largest um, search engine. So you'll be
0: found. Um, interesting. So, okay, uh, you, you've basically side hustled now twice, once to start this business and then once within the business to continue to expand the business. Um, how do you manage kind of the stress and demands of doing these things and then personal life, family life, like all of those kinds of things as well?
1: Um, I say sometimes I manage it better than others. I mean, I think I have some times where I feel like I have a lot of balance and then there's some times where I feel like I feel pretty out of balance. Um, during the pandemic I was working a lot. Um, so I can say that I was not in a very balanced situation, but I also didn't have anywhere else to go. There wasn't, you know, you didn't have social engagements. You didn't have, right. you know, other things that might be pulling your time in different directions. I do feel like now that the world's kind of come back to normal, all the other pulls of, you know, family obligations, social obligations, school obligations, sports obligations, like all those things kind of are pulling time in a different way. Yep. Um, so and maybe it didn't feel I was working a lot, but it didn't I didn't feel too stretched right. at the time. Um, so I think for me now, it's really important for me to put boundaries on my time, um, to have blocks in my calendar. Like when my daughter gets home from school at three o'clock, I don't take meetings after three, when she's with me, I don't take meetings after three, when she's like with her dad, I can work a little bit later and kind of catch up on some things in a different way. Um, but I also try to like take time for things that matter to me. I just started playing tennis. And so like, you know, when p- people play tennis, they play tennis at 11 o'clock on a Monday morning or they play at yeah, 930 on a Friday morning. And um, it's a little hard to balance that and also like working only within school hours. So um, I, I, I tr- I've I been trying to um, balance that. I'm like, OK, I love my tennis friends, but also you guys like I, I also need to maybe not say yes to everything, um, but, you know, finding just the right balance there of like, making sure that I have my physical activity. Um, I have time with my, my daughter. Um, I think that's like, you know, when she's home from school, it's like focus on like being, doing, doing family stuff and, um, eating together and that kind of thing, um, are important, but it's, it's it can be difficult.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Um, okay. I've got to ask you a question around, um, being a CFO for these small companies. So Uh, a lot of our listeners are people that are side hustlers or have small businesses. Um, what are one or two things that you've seen entrepreneurs, founders do poorly or or improperly on a finance side or, or things that they could do better that would help expand their business? Is there like a couple of tricks or, or tips that you would give?
1: Yeah. I mean, we actually just did a presentation this morning on, um, cash flow. Uh-huh. Um, and I think understanding your cash flow in your business is probably the thing that um, every small business owner needs to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. You don't need to be the person who does all of your bookkeeping. you don't need to be the person that's um, you know even doing your invoicing maybe like it's but you do need to understand what are the forces on your cash flow. So what is coming in on a regular basis what's going out on a regular basis? What does your owner's draw look like every month? Mm -hmm. Like, are you saving for taxes? Um, Cash flow is the lifeblood of our businesses. So if you don't understand what's coming in, what's going out, um, you'll potentially make the wrong decisions or make things in wrong timing. Or maybe you won't have, if you're not forecasting your cash flow, you're not going to realize that like six months down the road, you don't have any projects that are going to be bringing in the money you need to continue um, you know, continue right. serving your clients and continue paying your employees and everything. So I think um, having an eye on cash flow and doing a cash flow forecast is probably the number one thing I would say that everybody should be doing
0: yeah that's uh, that's a great uh, piece of advice there. Um, so many companies get into trouble with their runway and then realize it when there's only a month left and uh,
1: yes. <laughs> And it's harder when to do something when you only have 30 days to make it happen. But if you have six months to do something, then
0: you'll be in a much better place. Well, and plus, uh, just mentally, you're panicking, uh, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's harder to be clear-eyed about it and clear-minded about it and really make those plans when you're in panic mode. And and I think that's true for anything, but being an entrepreneur, that that definitely applies, right? Absolutely. Um, okay, so. Let's go back in time a little bit. You've been doing this for a while. Um, You've grown the business. Is there anything you would go back and do differently knowing what you know now?
1: I would have hired sooner. Really? Um, Okay. Yeah, I would have hired sooner. I would have tried to duplicate my role quicker. Um, I actually tried and failed a couple times. I tried to hire another CFO, Uh um, and I think I wasn't really, I wasn't clear on exactly what the role um what the person that I was looking to hire really needed to possess in order to be successful in the business. It's like successful in the role. Um but I was really scared. I controlled that part. I think when you when you scale a service-based business and if you're the face of the company, um, which as solopreneurs we are, if yeah. we're you know if we're out and about and like doing any kind of marketing or networking, like you are the face of your company. Right. Um so then when people want to work with you, quote unquote. Um, they want to work with you right. <laughs> and so um, it really scared me for a long time to think like well, people aren't going to want to work with somebody else. They want to work with me. Um, yeah. But what I actually was realizing was um, as I continued to grow my business and kind of have you know more of an eye on marketing, I was still doing sales. I'm still doing like a lot of other things in my business. Um, my capacity to actually be the best CFO was decreasing because my time was pulled in different places. Mm. And I wasn't able to be as responsive as I would have liked. And um, by hiring somebody whose full role is supporting clients, like that is their 100% full-time, you know, role. I think that has been the biggest game changer for me. Um, And it did take time to find those right people. But if I could have found um, her a whole year ahead of time, I mean, it made revenue hockey stick trajectory and like potential growth yeah, um, for sure. So revenue has been able to, you know, double from last year to this year. But I also think like just the confidence of like knowing that like other people can do this helps me think like, wow, I really can scale this business to be much bigger than myself. Um, It does mean that I'm managing more people, but at the same time, like, people need CFO services. Yep. And, um, if I can bring amazing people on the team to help provide those services and kind of underneath our brand and underneath our, um, you know, our values, cause I'm bringing the values to the table as the entrepreneur and mm-hmm. as the business leader. Um, I think that's, that's really what I would do differently yeah. Do it sooner.
0: Yeah. That's uh, that's great insight there. Um, Is there any advice you'd give to somebody who's thinking about doing exactly what you did, trying to turn on a side hustle or taking the leap and going from a side hustle to a full, full full-time business?
1: Yeah, I mean, I did it cautiously. I think I'm probably more risk averse. Like Mm -hmm. I'm also an accountant. So like, (laughs) you know,
0: we we don't need you going to Vegas. Like don't be taking (laughs) the money to Vegas. That's not the accountant's role.
1: No, 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 no. We're not known for our risky behaviors typically. Um, But I would say, you know, I I guess understand yourself to know, like if you can do that. Um, And I, I think be realistic on, you know, if you have the ability in your current role, like I couldn't have done this when I worked at public accounting. I couldn't mm-hmm. have side hustled yeah, because I was already working 80-hour work weeks sometimes. So there's no right. way I would have been able to have any kind of energy or creativity to start something different. So I think first is like know yourself and like what you need. If you truly think I'm not going to be able to work on anything else until I get rid of this job, then save up capital yeah. and have money that will help you because it did take me from the time I started my business, I want to say, It was May of 2017. I don't think I made my first dollar until September. Yeah. So even though I was working, I was definitely working. I was doing a lot of stuff, but I didn't make my first dollar from actual services until, you know, three or four months later. Yeah. So um, I think, think about that and what do you think it would really take you um, so that you don't have that stress and that worry of like, I'm not going to be able to pay my rent or my mortgage or whatever it
0: is. Yeah. That's great advice. Um, Hannah, this has been absolutely great. Where can our listeners find and connect with you?
1: Sure. Yeah. So um, you can find us on our website, ClaraCFO.com. And you can also check out our YouTube channel, which is Clara CFO Group on um, on YouTube. And that's where we are. We're at Clara CFO Group on all the social media channels as well. So people can reach out to us there. And, um, yeah, we'd love to hear from people and then find me on LinkedIn too, because I'm pretty active over there as well. Awesome.
0: Thanks for coming on the show today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun chatting.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the side hustle to small business podcast powered by Hiscox. To learn more about how Hiscox can help protect your small business through intelligent insurance solutions, visit Hiscox.com. That's H-I-S dot and if you have a story you want to hear on this podcast please visit hiscox.com slash share your story i'm your host sanjay Park. you can find me on twitter at at sanjay that's s-a-n-j-a-y or on my website at sanjayparik.com